Wednesday night, Thursday night, Monday night. The EPL show coming at you on every night of the week. I think it's safe to say at this point. We'll we'll, we'll make it happen if if it kills us. We're back with another week of the EPL show. My name is Oscar Rutherford. I'm joined, of course, as always, by Josh Parrish. Josh, how are you this fine evening? I'm doing well, Oscar. Glad we could make it happen this week, even if we had to shuffle things around a little bit. But uh, good to get stuck into the action a little bit earlier in the week than usual because we had some pretty interesting games that you're across. We, we certainly did, yes. We are, of course, having just completed the weekend, so the game's fresh in the memory this week as opposed to in our usual Wednesday night slot. But yes, as you say, alluding to several interesting games that, that took place over the weekend, of course, Liverpool and Man City both continued to win with comfortable comfortable results. But perhaps the most notable result of all, the one that drew the most headlines, Chelsea won, Brentford four. A stunning result. Perhaps the shock of the season, reminiscent of when, was it West Brom who beat Chelsea 5-2 or something at the bridge a couple of years ago? That, that 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 kind of level mm. of result, um, which, well, I certainly didn't see coming. I don't know about you, but an incredible result for Brentford and and perhaps uh, a consequence of several factors going on at Chelsea at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for Brentford, amazing. For Christian Eriksen, who scored and was the full crumb of a lot of that, amazing. And, and Jan Elt, of course, had an amazing day as well. Uh, but for Chelsea, it was a complete disaster. And I think it was essentially the result of Thomas Tuchel abandoning his tried and true formula and playing with the back four. I mean, Thiago Silva had one of the worst games I've ever seen a defender have in recent memory. I saw his, uh, I think it was his wife, you know, responding to criticism on social media or whatever. And, uh, you know, a good tweet saying that, you know, Thiago Silva plays one game in a back four and his family has to start issuing communicado <laughs> officials. So, you know, it, it didn't go well for Thiago. Uh, it went very poorly for Thomas Tuchel. And even though he had Andreas Christensen on the bench, he chose to change the shape. And I think it backfired pretty spectacularly. Did Thiago Silva also get sent off in the game against West Brom as well? I, mm. I think that's right. It, yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. Yeah, it, yeah that, that was, was the game that uh, that CR seven scored the hat trick. That's uh, right. Meaning Callum yeah, Robinson. Callum Robinson, what a man. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I think that's. I think that's a, a fair point when you talk about the the change in formation. Of course, it's it's kind of the. I feel it's a similar thing to what we talk about with Pep Guardiola when you've got a manager who is so tactically astute and does mm. like to mix up and mix things up. And we see the variety and the capacity to adjust that these managers have, which most of the time is of great credit to them and works really well. But perhaps at times can almost be overthought to the point where it falls apart a bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Some of these sort of creative genius managers, we've, we've talked about this a lot with Pep Guardiola in the Champions League, how he tries to come up with something, something new and different uh, for different opposition, he almost spends too much time thinking about the big games, and then you know, he ends up stabbing himself in the in the foot. But yeah, I, I do wonder why they went to the the back four. Perhaps you know it was trying to incorporate Ruben Loftus Cheek a little bit more often. I look, it doesn't seem like a great reason to me to abandon the win, winning formula. But uh, having seen one of their key players in in Reece James hand in a transfer request, I guess. You know, when you don't have his influence overlapping on the right-hand side and you can't rely on an ageing Cesar as Piliqueta to do the same, that's probably the impetus uh, to try out something a little bit more conventional in terms of the defensive setup and not rely so much on the width from the wing backs. 
they've gone such a large portion of the season without Rhys James as well as the thing. They, they've actually had to adjust because of his long-term injury kind of thing. So we've seen... Mm. And credit, I think, to Tuchel on the whole because he's found a way to keep making this tick over in some way or another. Um, I mean, post-match Tuchel spoke about the tiredness throughout the squad, having just travelled around the world to play in all sorts of international games and perhaps that was a factor perhaps this was the fittest 11 that he felt most comfortable with um but you know and I think a player like Marcus Alonso also functions a lot better with the back three and so he couldn't perhaps affect the game as much as he would have liked from the conventional left back position you know you're as you say you're relying on Cesar Azpilicueta who has very much transformed into more of a central defender to cover for Mm. what he's lost in terms of pace but he has played right wing back earlier this season against many opponents. So maybe maybe he felt that he was going to get done out wide by uh, by Brentford, who tend to break into those areas with with great um, you know f- f- speed. Um, you know, Waymo drifting out wide, and they're, they're a very vertical team. Uh, so perhaps he wanted a, a little less space in those those wide areas uh, potentially. Um, but trying to puzzle over his reasoning after the fact when they've just caught four goals. It was one of those special days where everything seems to go in for the underdog side and nothing will for uh, for the favourites. Uh, you know, Kai Havertz denied a goal for what looked like a handball. Yeah. They had other chances in the game that didn't go in. Um, but also, you can't go past the obvious explanation of the off-field distraction for why Chelsea, you know, basically capitulated. Yeah. But, like, they've done a really good job of not letting it affect them to this point, and they've gotten significant credit because they've been on one of their mm. better runs of the season up to this point. Like, I'm not... I'm not a hunt, How much... Of course, when a, when it affects a player's play... Sorry, a player's pay, that could maybe... Play, I, I, I'm just trying to express some confusion as to what's going through the player's mm. minds at this point, which means that all of a sudden their footballing structure falls apart. That seems like a long bow to draw in my mind. Yeah, I mean, it could be just one of those fluke results. I mean, yeah. Aston Villa beat Liverpool 7-2. Yeah. You know, it's like that wasn't reflective of either team's quality, even with some key absences. So, you know, one game doesn't make a season. Uh, but, yeah, it was a pretty head-scratching day at Sanford Bridge. And I think there will be a bit of a bit of an inquest afterwards into how that was allowed to happen when, you know, Brentford... Uh, just about avoiding relegation this year. It's not as if they're on some incredible underdog run. They started the season well, but they're pretty, they've dropped off pretty spectacularly in terms of their results and have only climbed clear because of the mediocrity of teams below them. Well, I think that we, we, we have failed to this point to give credit to Brentford because mm. I think Brentford, I mean, Christian Eriksen in particular, we spoke about him scoring, of course, scored for Denmark, now scoring for Brentford. That's obviously a really nice story. Uh, you mentioned Vitaly Yanel, who scored two really nice goals in really different ways. So I thought that was a, a super impressive performance for him. From him, Brian Mbuemo as well. He looked like he was involved. In, uh, he's a hell of a player. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and he's. I, I wonder how much the influence of Ericsson and kind of relieving some of that creative burden or some of that, you know, who's the danger player who's going to mm. create the space or open up the opportunities allowed Mbuemo to have more of an effect because he was so influential in pretty much all of the build-up. I, I do think Mbuemo is more dangerous when he's the outlet as opposed to the the player who has to get the ball when he's stationary and create, if you know if that makes sense. Um, you know, Ericsson being the the guy who sets him up and sets him away on, on those counterattacks as opposed to Mbuemo getting the ball and having to beat players himself. 
Um, you know, when he's facing goal, Mbwemo is absolutely devastating. And I, he was one of my favourite players to watch in the championship when Brentford were uh, down there because they played such exciting end-to-end vertical football. Um, and, you know, they, they've, I guess, not had that much of attacking um, output this season because, of course, Ben Rama leaves and goes to West Ham a little while ago. Um, you know, he doesn't always play there, which is frustrating because you'd love to see him starring for Brentford. Um, Ivan Tony has had good games, but when the other team puts the shackles on him, they don't really have a reliable goal scorer. So, you know, there, there are uh, points, there are sort of cho- choke points in this Brentford team that other, other teams have been able to exploit, uh, despite the sort of solidity of the system as a whole. And I think they are very well coached and they, they do their recruitment very well. But uh, now with Ericsson in the side, it just gives them that uh, extra little spark for uh, other players to, to build around. I think that's the really interesting thing about it all is that they they scored these four goals without Ivan Tony really being involved in any of them, mm. which is astonishing. And you know maybe that indicates. Oh, he did play one pass for Yanelt, sure, I think, yeah. on one of the goals. But yes, in terms of in the box, he wasn't involved. The way that they've scored their goals this season was not what we saw against Chelsea, and so maybe that indicates it was more of a fluke result than perhaps Brentford would like to think. But of course, you know, if you get a couple of these a season, that can go a long way. In the situation that Brentford's in and now as you mentioned they've gotten a couple of decent results now in a row so looking relative well not in a row I should say but over the last few weeks you know uh, what it reminded me of it reminded me of one of those Bundesliga games where you know Borussia Dortmund or someone suddenly caught four against yeah. some lower team yeah. and uh, they're just playing with such speed and verticality uh, and they just blow them away in a really short space of time. You know, usually in the second half where the game gets stretched and players get tired. It reminded me of that kind of game. It didn't remind me of a Premier League game, which is, you know, usually not that chaotic. Yeah. Not like a, you know, it, it really did look like they, they were suddenly playing in the Bundesliga to me. And that's, I guess, the influence in, of Brentford on throwing a spanner in the works and making the game a little bit more, a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more random, which actually does the underdog a lot of favours. Well, either way. Fair mm. enough. We should probably move on quickly sure. to cover a few of the other games. Uh, we, we mentioned Liverpool and City both picking up three points. Not really much to say about either of those games. They both did what they had to do, really. Uh, Liverpool struggled to break down Watford for a large portion of it, but eventually got it done. Uh, City, we saw score a couple of very nice City goals that they do tend to score. Uh, further down the table, United lucky to come away with a point against Leicester. Um because Leicester were the better team, James Madison was brilliant, and if it had it not been for a, a foul in the build-up to a James Madison goal, then United would have lost that game. I did find Ralph Ranick's comments afterwards uh, quite interesting in terms of you know confirming that he does have a two-year contract for a consultancy role with the club, and he said United need five or six transfer windows to catch up to Liverpool and City, which. Is a reassuring level of realism from yes. the manager. I think that is true. It's not a, not a, as a result of them not spending previously, just not spending their money very well and not having an overall, uh, I guess, uh, they, they haven't recruited in a manner that is designed to build a team. They've only recruited individuals. Um, he said, whenever the new coach, um, well, or whoever it should say, the new coach is clear, it has to be... Uh, uh, how does he want to play and what kind of players do we need for that? Then we come back to DNA, speed, physicality, tempo. What do we need? The team does not lack technical players. It can do with more physicality. 
It takes the right decisions and clarity over where you want to go, what kind of players, what kind of manager, and then in every transfer window, try and get the best possible. This is rocket science. <laughs> I would argue it's uh, clearly not rocket science, but anyway, it has to be done. And if that happens, it does not necessarily need three or four years. Maybe in two or three transfer windows, then the situation could be different. So I don't know about that assessment of what United are lacking. I, I don't... Look, Fred and McTominay... Uh, you know, those are the two players who've been anchoring the midfield for years now uh, under Solskjaer and still under Ranić, and still the manager thinks they're lacking speed and physicality as opposed to technique. I just want to say, can you imagine if you were a rocket scientist right now and you heard the manager of Manchester United go, this is this is rocket science? Like, you're, 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 you're sitting there with your PhD going, what? Who? What? The, like, I, I, I would be... I would be outraged if I were a rocket scientist, but fortunately I'm not. Well, generally when Germans talk about rocket science, I get a little nervous, but that's, <laughs> that's for other reasons. <laughs> Josh, um, <laughs> no, yeah, uh, you mentioned Fred just there. I think Fred's actually had quite a good last month or so. He's kind of, I think, been allowed to play higher up the pitch, and I think that's relieved some of the defensive burden where he's made some errors, and he contribute he was a huge part in the goal that united scored against leicester and i'm just i'm delighted in the increase of his resale value as a result i sure i appreciate that yeah uh <laughs> look we, we've spoken to death about united and their problems and as you say some realism from ralph ragnick in that instance the the fundamental composition of that squad mm is nowhere near that of a Liverpool or a Manchester City or even a Chelsea. I agree with the broad strokes. I do not agree with the details and yeah. what he thinks United are falling short in mm. because I I think that's a fundamental misdiagnosis and I, I think Ralph Ranić will be an ineffective technical director as a result and United won't move in the right direction if they're just going to try and play RB Leipzig football because I think we've seen that Leipzig has a ceiling. And, you know, they, they're able to get up to the Champions League places, but I don't think they're going to win the Bundesliga anytime soon, even with all the advancements that they've made. Because when they come up against an opponent who gives them the ball, then they struggle. And, you know, they can't play reactive football anymore. And United never play reactive football against nearly anyone apart from the very top echelon of teams. So how are they going to get results against Burnley, you know, playing with more speed, more speed. Like that's, I, I don't see, I don't see how this addresses United's flaws. This, this approach, but at least it's a, there's some sort of long term planning taking place. Even if I fundamentally disagree with the, I guess ideological <laughs> direction of the football. <laughs> it's it's the big picture, Justin. At least the, there is a the big, big picture. picture. Even yeah, exactly. if I even if I have quibbles yeah. with the big picture itself, at least there's a big picture being painted. And rather than just the next transfer window, oh, we're going to fix it all in one go. Yeah. Oh, how many Instagram followers does this player have, and how many noodle deals can they sell in Southeast Asia? I mean, speaking of big picture as opposed to little picture, we did just brush over the the City win against uh, Burnley, but I'd like to say that in his post match press conference, Pep Guardiola did pick up on how terrible the grass was. It was far too long, um, he said, uh, and the pitch was too hard. And mm. I figured that was a very Pep Guardiola observation, which perhaps doesn't have the big picture qualities that we're talking about. But but I... Are I, you I, trying to make a pitch picture uh, pun here? I It crossed my mind, Josh, and I opted against it. I decided it wasn't worth the risk. The rewards were mm. too low. Um, sure. Perhaps you have more credibility that you can use for those kinds of moments. And so I appreciate you going for it. Um, I, I think it's a legitimate concern. I mean, you know, it, look, 
A Premier League pitcher should be up to a certain spec, but I wouldn't put me past... Um, was it an away game at Burnley? It yes. was. So, you know, at the ironically named Turf Moor, yeah. I guess there was more <laughs> turf than they were asking for. Oh, uh, we've reached a new low here on the EPL show. Uh, no, if Burnley were going to let the grass grow and not mow it, you know, the day of or a couple of days previously, of course, at a high level of football, that makes an impact. And Manchester City, the game is based around ball movement. And if the ball is moving a bit slower than usual, then that gives the other team more time to set up. So, you know, Pep Guardiola does like to carry on and whine about a lot of the little things that make people roll their eyes. And with Manchester City's uh, financial advantage, he attempted to just say, suck it. But I don't think it's a, you know, it's a a point that's totally without merit. We need more sterling pitches around for Man City. <laughs> Look, we'll just... I like Turf more better. Yeah, no, yeah. yours is better. I'm so, see, this is why I didn't try. I shouldn't have tried. I'm so, I, you can, no, I take look, it back. I take it back. <laughs> look, I, look, I, I want to I be the Ralph Raniuk of this show. I want you know to step away and, and give you the leadership and responsibility over the puns at some point, yeah. and I'll, I'll move into an ad, advisory role. Overseeing, yeah, exactly. No, look, fair enough. <laughs> We're still in the, in the transition period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, look, Will, James Ward-Prowse scored another cracking free kick against Leeds. Just thought I'd throw that in because that's what he does week in, week out. I'd also like to mention Brighton nil, Norwich City nil. Fun scoreline. Mm. Oh, that's this is the game that really caught my attention this weekend. I, I, I think that's kind of a, a, the universal response to seeing the scoreline. Uh, but I, I picked this up to say Graham Potter post-match did make a comment. I'll get it up. Uh, in which he asked the Brighton fans to stop yelling shoot whilst Brighton uh, <laughs> in their build-up play. He, he says, the build-up suggests we're getting there. Of course, the longer you go, you can hear the crowd shoot, 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 you know, and that sometimes is a challenge for the players. And then he goes on about why that's problematic but, but or, or about the, the, the psychology behind that. Um. I think that's a really funny thing to say. I haven't heard a manager call it out before, saying stop telling us to shoot. Well, I can forgive the fans because Brighton can't bloody score goals yeah. this season. You know, they they were XGFC last last year where they always mm. seem to out-XG their opponent without actually getting the result. That's right. And, and now they just can't score at all. Um, and I don't think it's because the fans are getting impatient. I think the fans are getting impatient because the team can't score. I think the causal link is the opposite direction. Yeah. So I think... Graham Potter, uh, I think he's looking for something else to blame aside from his own coaching and his own team. And I don't know. I I find this a bit like usually usually managers don't admit that the crowd is affecting the players, especially mm. not their home crowd. Um, usually, like it's a usually, well, way usually to get them offside. Yeah, exactly. Um, probably this will have the reverse impact. Probably the fans will just shout <laughs> shoot louder. Shout That's what I would do. I'd say, screw you, mate. Like we we, we pay for our ticket. We can shout what, what we like. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe maybe it's reverse psychology. Maybe That's right. maybe he wants them to shoot more. Probably not. <laughs> Grandpa, it's Grandpa's <laughs> Potter's world. We're just all living in it. That's yeah. yeah. Look. We've we've gone through a rundown of the results. What I'm thinking we'll do is I think we'll actually take a bit of an earlier break here. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, we'll come back and talk about the main, the juicy content that we're going to get into tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about West Ham predominantly because that's something we haven't done for a while. Sure. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll touch on Everton at the start, but we'll move quickly along to talking about West Ham and, of course, their season. They got another win on the weekend. They've got a Europa League tie midweek. 
uh, David Moyes doing David Moyes things, apparently, not really. Mm. Um, and of course, in the context of a broader top four race, but we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Back to the EPL show on FNR this fine Monday evening. We have been through a brief rundown of the weekend's results in the first little section of the show. Uh, we'll now move on to the main thing that we've decided that we're going to talk about this evening. Uh, and that main thing is West Ham United and David Moyes. West Ham got another win on the weekend. I say another win. Uh, They've been a bit up and down, but a 2-1 win nonetheless uh, against a consistently uh, sad Everton. Sad? Sad. Sad. Sadderton. Sadderton in many respects. Yeah. Look, just to just to touch on Everton briefly. Sad. Sad Lampard. It's it's a he he is a sad man at the moment. Uh we we, we talk about Everton a bit, so we'll we'll just be brief here. And I just want to say that. Credit to the side, credit to Frank Lampard. This was a significantly improved performance compared to what we've seen in recent weeks. Um, Everton were really quite unlucky to lose this game, I would say, up until the red card point. We're probably the better team, particularly in the first half. Um, Went down to a cracking Aaron Cresswell free kick. Um, Struck by injury just beforehand, Donny van der Beek injured in the warm-up, so Mason Holgate had to step into central midfield. Which, which is less than ideal. Which is but he less, ended up scoring. And he and he had a reasonably solid game. And, and I felt that the team was actually significantly better balanced than it has been in recent weeks. So we saw Alex Awobi come in and he played in a central, in that kind of number 10 role, um, which I think freed up Damari Gray and Richarlison to kind of not have to be the focal points of the attack. Of course, Dominic Calvert-Lewin mm. also came back in. And this just created a much nicer dynamic where you've got the structure from the yeah. top, you've got... Instead of, you know, because I heard you describing a player in the Euro show earlier as very much an individualist. I think you're talking about Jeremy Doku. Yeah. And that's very much what Richarlison is as well. He, he very much plays for Richarlison and, and, and that helps the team. And I have nothing but respect for, well, I have some things other than respect, but <laughs> a significant amount of respect for Richarlison because he's a brilliant player. But I think that when he's the target up top, it's, that doesn't engage the other players in the team. It doesn't. Mm, it's not conducive yep. to a good team functioning. Um, whereas if you just allow, if you say Richarlison and Demarago, you're out on the wings. You do your things when you get the ball because now it's not your responsibility to necessarily involve everyone else. Um, and instead, lots of that burden fell to Alex Awobi, and that worked quite well. And Alex Awobi had a really good game. I've always felt he was better as a ten than as a winger because he's he's quite good in tight spaces, yeah. but he doesn't always have that. You know sustained pace that players like Richarlison uh, can obviously muster over, you know, 20, 30 metres. But just his giveaway for the goal just undermines everything that he did in that game, which is so disappointing because I think uh, I, I agree that that's a more balanced setup for Everton to pursue going forward. Yeah, like, and it was a disappointing giveaway. And, yeah, I, I, I hope that he gets another shot despite that kind of thing. Um Shall we have a listen to what Sad Lampard said afterwards? Well, well, let's have a listen to what Frankie Boy had to say. 
I'll, I'll, I'll try and bring up what Frank had to say. Here we go. Two seconds. Here we go. Like that. You worked so hard to get back in, showed a lot of resilience, and then a couple of mistakes, and, and you walk away with nothing. Yeah, disappointment because we deserve more from the game. Deserves, I think, at least a point. Um, at 1 1, I fancy to be the stronger team that's pushing to go and score the second. Uh, mistake that they um, break away and get a goal that we save, it drops to them, it bounces in the goal. The first half, the first goal was a free kick that goes in the top corner. And the reality is, we're in that kind of moment where everything's going against us decisions, uh, moments in games, um, red cards. And um, I can't fault the players, can't fault their. Uh, character, their uh, play generally. No, mistakes, yeah, a couple of mistakes, but so did they make and, and it didn't fall our way. Um, so the performance was really positive and we've got 10 games to perform like that again and more. Is that a feeling that you're going to walk and away? So with did it? they make you indeed. No, look, I, and I, you know, I, I don't think it's a surprise to see the change in tone from what we've heard the last few weeks where he just spoke about playing hard and tough and uh, if you if you got the bollocks to play or not. That's right. I think someone's actually talked to him during the week, some sort of media consultant maybe, someone from the club said you can't throw the players under the bus like that again. It's actually doing your reputation no favours. So he comes out and, yes, you know, they played a lot better this week as well, which helped, but uh, he comes out and says, I can't fold the players at all. It's just the universe that's conspiring against us. It's just, you know, nothing's going our way, decisions, position, red cards, you know, we make one mistake, they always score, oh my God, woe is me, say la vie, and so goes Everton's slow drop towards the relegation zone. Well, the thing with, with the discussion of playing with intensity and fighting spirit and character is the last three Premier League games it is now, Everton have had a player sent off. That's three games in a row where mm. Everton have gone down to 10. I would say they've got a surplus of bollocks. Uh, it's well, <laughs> that is how you could frame that as a problem. But, but that's that's kind of right. It's it's not. It hasn't been helping playing mm. super like, like you know. And the the last couple haven't been overly consequential. I would say. I mean, the Wolves game was kind of lost as it was, and um, still got away with the win against Newcastle. But this West Ham game, it, it was problematic. Michael Keane making a really really stupid challenge against. I think it was Mikel Antonio facing the wrong way. He wasn't facing towards goal. It, it wasn't, you know, it was moderate danger at most. It wasn't about to be a shot on goal or anything. It's dumb. Everton have played better for most of the game. They've been unfortunate to sc- concede twice. Uh, the first one from a free kick, the second one from a giveaway. And any hope that Everton had of working their way back into that game was just about gone once Michael Keane got sent off, the only redeeming factor being that they had a cent- another centre-back already on the pitch ready to slot into that position. And it's, you know, Michael Keane's not good enough to be doing this kind of stuff. If you're a really good player, maybe we'll allow it, but he's he's not. So it's it's suicidal. Do you think the fact that Everton only made one substitution um, maybe points to Lampard not trusting his reserves? I mean, Deli Ali can't get the, on the pitch at all for them, even in a bit-part role. It seems like that transfer is going to work out not so lucrative, lucratively in Tottenham's favour with all of it being yeah. incentive-based. Uh, so a good bit of business from Everton there to mitigate that risk, I suppose. Uh, but Anthony Gordon was the only player who came on in this match. And, uh, you know, surely with a, a team who's clearly tiring in the last 15 minutes or so and you've got West Ham with these great wingers who can transition so quickly, you want to replenish that side. Or is it just that Everton have no depth and they can't rely on their bench at all? 
Well, if if you look at the bench, there are a significant number of really young players there. There's only a handful of players sure. with Premier League experience. I think the Deli Alley point's a good one. Um, I can't say what what his fitness levels are, but Mason Holgate got chosen to play in midfield ahead of Deli Alley, obviously in a different role than what you'd expect Deli Alley to play. But yeah, but El Ghazi's a serviceable Premier League player. He hasn't. He hasn't really done anything, has he, since the move from Villa? Well, he hasn't set the world on fire at all, but in a 15-minute cameo role, you'd, you'd back him to, you know, at least give them a bit more bit more energy and drive in, you know, the, when when defences are tired. Like, he's not... I'm not suggesting he, they should be starting or there's some, like, terrible selection decisions being made by Lampard here because he's essentially got all of his best players in that level with Deli Ali looking like he's underachieving yet again. So, But I, I just find it a bit weird that they only made one substitution when they were down to 10 men. I think the only thing I can say is is the wing's just about the one position where Everton are kind of okay at the moment. Richarlison's a good winger. Okay. Demario Gray's fair. You've got Anthony Gordon as well, who, again, Demario Gray and Anthony Gordon are, are reasonable. So it's a balance issue they have. Well, I think that might explain the El Ghazi lack of substitution because... You know, that's not really where Everton were missing out. That wasn't really the problem. Mm. I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's only just kind of coming back to full fitness now. Um, he didn't really do much in the game other than provide that structure. So as much as there are parts of that team that look like they're coming together, it's still... Uh, the, the, there are a couple of key outs and some overloads in other areas, which creates an unfortunate situation. But we should talk about West Ham, though. But we should talk about West Ham. they are flying at the moment, and they've got Europa League coming up. And, you know, it's, it's a tough fixture, but I could see them getting something out of it. Well, we've been speaking about the lack of substitutions that Frank Lampard made. I think it's been one of the key characteristics of West Ham's season is how reliant David Moyes has been on his key, his core group of players. He rotates... Very rarely, um, as rarely as most managers that I see. Um, you talk about you know that midfield pairing of Sojak and Declan Rice. He's very hesitant to ever stray away from that unless it's completely necessary. Um, you know there, there, there is a, a, a small amount of adjustment that can be made. I mean, we see Mark Noble feature semi regularly. Nikola Vlasic gets some game time. Yarmolenko, of course, Vladimir Sufal's been out for a large portion of the season. But I think it's incredible that West Ham have achieved the results that they have, considering how reliant they are in this, uh, on this core group of players and they're somehow finding a way to keep up. And I think it will be fascinating to observe if they can continue to do so for the final couple of months of the season with the number of games that they're playing in Europe as well. Well, you talk about that European game, which is coming up on Friday. Uh, they're playing against Olympic Lyonnais, which is a famous name of Champions League seasons past, but at the moment they're ninth in Ligue 1 and they've only won two of their last five games. So they're not exactly in the best of form. I'd actually fancy West Ham to, to do something. You know, in the away leg, maybe not so much, but playing at home, they, they do pretty well. Um, you know, long gone are the days where, you know, the stadium change was seemingly cursed and West Ham couldn't win at home. They, they've, they've settled in pretty well at, uh, at the Olympic Stadium. Well, you'd argue that Sevilla would have been a bigger test than Leon, and they, they overcame Sevilla. So in, in that sense, I think it's it's a fair argument. Of course, Peter Bosch at Leon started really slowly I seem to recall then picked up some form and now it's kind of faltering yet again so they, they've been inconsistent at best and they're one of those teams that has a lot a high squad turnover rate mm. um yeah no I, I I 
am inclined to agree. It feels like West Ham are, are more likely to win that than Leon, which is wild to say. I mean, this is a Leon side that that dumped out Man City from the Champions League a couple of years ago. So that it's it's an incredible turnaround in, in the short term. I mean, I know that West Ham get a lot of well, well, some stick for the way that they find a way of winning games. They they don't, you know, they're not Man Citying this kind of thing, or they 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 have a it's a it's a an effective if not pretty way of of winning the game. Yeah, they tend to play a lot of balls into the channels for Antonio. They tend to play on the counter-attack a lot, rely on set pieces. You remember that season under Moyes where Suchek just scored every time they had a corner? It was ridiculous. Um, yeah, they're, they're not a pretty team to watch. I don't think they're maximizing Nikola Vlasic particularly um, when you see what he can do in a Croatia jersey. Uh, but again, they it works for them. They're winning games and they're very difficult to break down. So when you've got those two players in Rice and Suchek sitting in front of the back four and then Suchek just arriving late in the box or coming forward for the set pieces, you know, and, and I, I'm a big fan of Jared Bowen as well. You know, he doesn't get much um, in terms of, you know, international acclaim or even international caps, shall we say, but uh, uh, I would love to see him go to the World Cup. The... I'm struck by, like, it feels like the way West Ham win games and score goals is low percentage. It feels like this can't, dare I say, they can't keep getting away with this. Like, like it feels like it keeps happening in, in a way that, that won't, that, that, that it should keep happening. But they do. And you, you talk about the quality they have from set pieces, how often they score from set pieces. I'm fairly sure that they've scored the most or the second most goals from set pieces this season. They're really solid at defending them. I mean, they've made Craig Dawson a an admirable Premier League defender, which is a strange thing that I didn't think would happen. Yeah, it seemed like his Premier League career was over and then suddenly yeah. he's starting every game again. Um, you know, it's it just takes one manager to back you. Oh, I was thinking, we speak about Man City as a team where the system outweighs the individuals, whereby, you know, you could mix and match whoever they've got on the bench and it would the, the machine would keep rolling on and they'd be fine. I wonder if West Ham are literally the antithesis of this. If if you take out some of those key players, I mean, where else are you going to find a Rice Sochek partnership? And I know it's it's not you know, it, it's not fluent, amazing, sexy football or anything, and it, it, it's strictly mm. effective. But the way that they've found this balance of players that Moyes is so hesitant to mix with, I think suggests that you know. And credit to their recruiting because lots of these players weren't at the club five years ago. We talked about Jared Bowen, Ben Rama, Fornals, Sochek even. Like these are players who have been brought in and construct to, to construct this team. And it's it's a really fine balance that you can't mess with much because True. And they've turned Mikel Antonio into a striker when he wasn't always. He was playing right wing back not too long ago. Which it seems unthinkable now when you look at the guy and you think that guy was built built to be a Premier League number nine. Um, you know, and well, maybe, you know, the build quality sometimes has a few issues when you look at his injury record. Yeah. But uh, or when he's in the team, he's, he's a force of nature. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think you're right in that they have certain key players that you couldn't, they wouldn't be the same without, particularly that Rice-Suchek partnership. That's why they've been so hesitant to sell Rice and they put mm. such, you know, an over-the-top price tag on his head and they'll take $100 million plus to, to pry him from, from West Ham, which is a preposterous figure when you look at comparable players around Europe. Yeah. But... What he means to that team 
you know, he's more important to West Ham than he would be to, say, Chelsea, going back to where he, oh, yeah. you know, he came through the youth academy. Absolutely. And I, I, I mean, it, it creates this really weird dynamic where I don't know about you, Josh, but consistently when I've seen West Ham this season, they don't, they're not, it feels like they shouldn't be winning these games. Like, I mean, if we mm. use the Everton game as an example, just they, I've got no idea how they won. Well, the last half an hour is a different yeah. story, but but how were they two one up in the first place? I don't understand. And that that's actually not an Everton thing. That's the thing that West Ham keep doing. They, they do keep it constantly jamming goals from a set piece or from something. Are like they that. are they kind of like England's Atletico Madrid? Quite yeah, quite possibly. There's a, there's an element to that where the I guess the ability to pinch a goal on the counter-attack and yeah. play well as an underdog um, and, you know, almost leave teams feeling aggrieved and uh, at the injustice of what they've just suffered. That that seems to be a habit that mm. they they make of this. So, and dominance offset pieces as well. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think we'd be comparing David Moyes to Cholo Simeone, but here we are. Yeah. Here we are. I reckon David Moyes could rock the black tie, black shirt. It's you just, know, you know, it's, it's all about, it's all, it's, Cholo Simeone, he's got the the looks, he's got the accent, he's got, you know. If David Moyes uh, had that, you know, that kind of uh, aura and mystique, and he wasn't, you know, a dour Scotsman, then uh, perhaps we'd be talking about him in a different way. The dour Scottish version of Cholo Simeone, David Moyes. Yeah, no, that's right. Look, so yeah, I, I think I think that was a fairly comprehensive mm. analysis. Maybe maybe I'm being too generous. Let's you know (laughs) leave it up to you at home if you thought that was comprehensive or not. But uh, that was an analysis of sorts. It was definitely an analysis. Uh, We'll go to a break, and I think uh, we've got more on the other side, including I might have a bit of word to you about England's World Cup draw, and there's Champions League games midweek involving English teams as well. So stick around here on the EPL show. show for what is our final little segment for this fine Monday evening in which Josh you have indicated that you would like to discuss England the national team their World Cup draw and perhaps any potential discussions that eventuate from that I, I think it's uh, it's time for geopolitics corner on yeah. the uh, on the EPO show yeah. with England drawing Iran and the US which is just fascinating <laughs> I can't I can't wait for all of the think pieces uh, but uh, they'll also be playing one of Scotland, Wales, or Ukraine. So it, you know, either it's a team from the home <laughs> county, counties or Ukraine involved or as well. Mass geopolitics taking yeah. place. In Incredible! A what a what a draw! What a time! <laughs> what a time! That would be a, a wild group if Ukraine got it there as well. But but yes, of course. Otherwise, we've got the potential of an England Scotland rematch. Uh, even England Wales would be interesting. Uh, yeah, rematch from Euro 2016, England-Wales. Yes, I think that's right. Gareth yep. Bale scored a free kick. Joe Hart fumbling the knuckleball into his own net. And uh, and then England came back late in the game and Roy Hodgson threw on all of his strikers at once and uh, and they managed to win it, um, which they didn't really deserve to. But mm. uh, judgment was coming later or justice for them later in the tournament with Iceland. So you need, <laughs> needn't worry about that, that unjust result. But um, first off, I mean... The US have a certain World Cup record against 
uh, England, if you think back to 2010, and Rob Green's... Uh, this might be stretching your yeah. memory a little bit. But, Nine-year-old uh, me, yeah. Do you, do you remember Rob Green fumbling yes, into his own I net do. after... I uh, I mean, also in England, and this didn't really get much play in Australia at the time, but in England, the height of their tournament was, I think, in about the fourth minute when Gerrard scored a nice goal to open the scoring against the US in their first game. And if people were watching on ITV, I think it was, in the UK, someone pressed the wrong button, they cut to an ad break and they missed the goal. And England's World Cup never got any better than that. <laughs> so ITV viewers, they missed the best moment of the whole tournament for their country. Because somebody uh, somebody pressed the wrong button. So talk about ad breaks during play, which we've been complaining about in the A-League a lot this season. It can be worse than that. An American conspiracy of some sort. I don't, I don't <laughs> Perhaps. Know but uh, Rob Green tweeting out the eyes emoji after the draw was very, <laughs> very funny. Uh, kudos to him for having a good sense of humour about the whole thing. And, you know, I'm sure I'm a thousand percent confident that such a thing could never happen to Jordan Pickford. You know, he, he's, he's that kind of goalkeeper that... Never makes a mistake and steals it with absolute confidence. But I mean, to be fair, his performances for England are consistently pretty good. Look, well, at, they was good in the Euro final. He saved a couple of penalties. So. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, in, in England are an interesting one. Just looking back to their their, their team for, for the Euros final and looking at their prospects moving forward. Of course, still a long way to go. I think the fitness of Calvin Phillips is a really important Mm. thing for England. I mean, we talk about how good he was in the Euros, throughout the Euros, how central he was to making that team tick. And, of course, he's hardly featured this season. So I'd imagine most of of England would be hoping that that he gets more game time in these last few, few weeks for Leeds and is able to build something back up. I think he was voted England Footballer of the Year last year. So... That goes to show his influence and just how much of an impact he made. I think it also helps if you play for one of the clubs that's not like one of the traditional big clubs because mm. there's less animosity towards you, so mm. it helps with the voting. But uh, Maybe not so much in this award, but uh, certainly with those fan-voted things. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, Calvin, Calvin Phillips. There's a name we can all get behind because he doesn't play against my team for trophies. As opposed to Harry Maguire, who yeah. you know will have this distinct Ooh. contrast. Yeah, exactly. Look... Yeah, so I, I think the, the the fitness of Calvin Phillips is significant. I mean, the likes of Luke Shaw, what's happened to Luke Shaw this season? Um, is Harry Maguire going to be able to pull himself back together? I think we've seen... Well, Luke Shaw actually said that he feels wanted and valued in the England camp. Right. And then he checked himself and said, oh, but not that I don't feel that way at <laughs> Manchester United. Of course. I also, that uh, great, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, but also... Uh, England's really special because of reasons. Uh, so, yeah, a little awkward moment for, for Luke Shaw, but he, he let the truth slip through the net, I think. Yeah, and, yeah, well, it, we talk about how different a whole host of these players play for England than they do for their clubs. Mm. Um, whether that says more about the clubs or more about England, who can say, I suppose. We could say, but we're not going to say, I'm not going to say with any confidence. Um I hope Bukayo Saka features more. I, I think they've got to build around these inform Arsenal young players. Just Smith Rowe, Saka, throw them in. You know, mm. yeah. Look, I, I think you're more likely to see the tried and the tried and true um, with with this England team. Um, and you know, Raheem Sterling seems to be one of Gareth Southgate's favourites and playing very centrally. And you know, he scored those crucial goals at the Euros. So again. International managers who build one successful side, 
yeah. even if it's not a tournament-winning side, tend to go back to those players again when the chips are down. But I do hope we see more Bakaya Saka. I do hope we see Emil Smith-Rowe because that can make this England, the England team, who can be pretty stodgy at times, quite good to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Uh, and, and, you know, you speak about international managers relying on who they trust and stuff, and that obviously makes it hard for players who mm. might be playing particularly well but won't get a look-in kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and you compare that to a, it. It'd be interesting to see how Jack Grealish goes because I know that you haven't been super impressed with Jack Greel- Jack Grealish's season. Uh, so will he get will he get the, to feature as well? Marcus Rashford's another one who has not been performing at club level, or things have not been going their no. way. Um, yeah, he barely gets in the team anymore. So he yeah. sim- quite simply on performances, he doesn't deserve to go. Grealish is a bit of a different one because his play is so impacted by the change in environment from Aston Villa. To City, and I would argue that the England team is more more similar to Aston Villa than it is to Manchester City in terms of the playing style being a lot less elaborate, yes. shall we say, yes. um, and more reliant on individual talents to come up with something. So I think you'll see the same kind of fifteen minute cameos off the bench. Can Jackie do it for us? But you know, he's he's had a real real dip in his his form this season, even though he's been playing pretty regularly. He only has, like I think, four combined goals and assists this season, which for him is, is a down year for sure. And, uh, I mean, if I were to say one more thing, it would be Harry Kane's playing really well. That's true. That could be helpful. He, he's, he's looking incredible at the moment, Harry Kane. Uh, we, we, kinda, we didn't touch on Spurs. Oh, we we haven't got to his inevitable like May injury. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then again, the World Cup's in December now. He's got time. So, yeah, so he's yeah. got time, but, uh, you know... the. It's such a weirdly timed World Cup. Yeah. It feels like it should be coming up now and it's not, yeah. uh, which, damn it, Qatar. But yeah. uh, that's definitely the main that's, problem that's with the, the World Cup. Either. It's the worst thing to come out of this World Cup. Definitely yeah. no humanitarian no. issues to speak of. Uh, but, yeah, England's group, everyone's celebrating in the media, saying, yeah, look, easy path. They're already looking at the later stage in the draw. Um, you know, Whether it's better to finish first or second or mm. <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to meet France in the quarterfinals, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I th- I think they have to keep their heads in check and and respect the fact that you know US might not be a great side but Iran are a good team and whoever makes it out of Scotland Wales or Ukraine will have a lot to play for for different yeah. reasons. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's right. Well, I'm glad we're in agreement. Well, yeah. Shall we move on to the Champions League? <laughs> Let's move on to the Champions League. I was going to say, I promise. Um Yes, Champions League coming up midweek. We already spoke about the Europa League and, and, and West Ham's featuring in that against Leon. But, of course, in the older sibling competition, Liverpool coming up against Benfica as Man City play Atletico Madrid and Chelsea play Real Madrid. So plenty of English featuring across these games. Uh, Josh, a- a- any, any surefire things that are going to happen in these games? Any things you're going to say with absolute confidence? Well, Pep Guardiola is going to be suffering sleepless nights and tearing his hair out. The prospect of facing Diego Simeone in yes. a playoff, uh, you know, champ, knockout Champions League tie again. Um, I think back to, I think it was, was it 2016 when Pep Guardiola was coaching Bayern Munich? It was a while ago. Um, and Bayern, they missed a penalty. I think it was Thomas Muller. I think that's right. Uh, you know, but they, they just... It was one of the most unjust games you've ever seen. It's it's like when you play football manager or something and your side has all of the chances and all of the shots and everything and somehow you lose 1-0. And I think it was Fernando Torres who scored for Atletico Madrid that day. Um, but 
Pep Guardiola is, I don't think, ever emotionally recovered from that match. So, you know, this could bring up some traumatic memories for him. But I still think Manchester City, given the way that they've been able to, uh, I guess, evolve that Guardiola game plan and shut down counterattacks in such an efficient way and smother teams, they should go through. I think they should win this game. I mean, we compare Cholo Simeone to David Moyes. Of course, West Ham have beaten Man City this season. So There you go. Y- you know, did you never know. David Cholo Moyes. David Cholo Moyes. 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 Uh, Cholo Moyes, yes. Yes. Um, Diego Moyes. <laughs> Diego Moyes is better, actually. I should have gone Diego Moyes. <laughs> no, fair enough. Uh, Liverpool, Benfica. Uh, hard to bet against Liverpool. Uh, Benfica, they've got a few internal troubles at the club, I understand. At That's moment, true, but, but this is going to be an awesome atmosphere. Yeah. So I, I picked a draw on the Euro show. I'll, I'll stick with that, but I still anticipate uh, Liverpool progressing just because I think, you know, this is a big night for, for Benfica. Just the home home ground advantage I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely on for a, a good result, but away at Anfield, I think Liverpool will do them quite easily. I do quite like the notion of you picking one team in the Euro show and another one in the EPL show. Just, <laughs> just to cover all yeah, bases. Yeah, just covering all your bases. <laughs> but then you'll have this clip that you can play back all the time. Exactly. And say, Look, I do it. I you do know, what's happening. I play both sides, yeah. so I always come out on top. <laughs> uh, and then last of all, Chelsea coming off their 4-1 defeat to Brentford, play host to Real Madrid this Thursday. Uh, I mean, that's another factor that we didn't even talk about when we were discussing Chelsea's team selection, whether that was on Thomas Tuchel's mind. I think he said post-match that it wasn't. This should be a rather interesting battle, a tactical battle, Mm. if you will. Uh, Of course, Ancelotti's Real Madrid consistently performing fairly well, other than the last El Clasico, that is, uh, should provide a real stern test for Chelsea. And for me, me, this is the kind of game where Tuchel Mm. bounces back. I I think this is what he does. Interesting. Um, I think he's consistently shown an, an ability to recover well and to overcome. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Chelsea get the win here. I have to disagree. Okay. I think Real Madrid's going to win this game because Benzema will, I believe, be back. Yep. Benzema's playing. They're a different team entirely. They only lost the Classico because Ancelotti tried to reinvent the wheel and play Luka Modric as a false nine and yeah. it failed. And if Benzema's playing, he's in amazing form. This team has the ability to get up for the big games, especially. You know, you saw the energy that Luka Modric was running around with. In the, I don't know if you saw that dressing room montage yeah. where he was walking through and, like, big upping everybody and big slaps on the back, hugs, jumping around, like lifting himself up by the two hands on the railings and stuff. And I'm like, this guy is so, so yeah. old. <laughs> but after he's run around against PSG and dominated the game for um, for that second half and, and put them to the sword, he's still got the energy to you know, jump around like a little kid. So I, I reckon Modric, we might be in for another masterclass. So I'm going for a Real Madrid win, 2-1. All right, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I can't verify... I can verify who you said for the Euro show, but, you know, we'll say it was Real Madrid both times. Uh, <laughs> look, well, that, 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 that's most of the, the, the things mm. we wanted to cover for today. I do, I do have one more thing to say. I said sure. this to you pre-show because um, I think this might be one of the funnier things that I've read in a while, which was Steve Bruce, currently the manager of West Bromwich Albion in the championship. Uh, West Brom lost 1-0 to Birmingham City over the weekend. Uh, things haven't gone great for Brucey at, at West Brom so far. But said post-match following the 1-0 loss, this is a quote from Steve Bruce, 
It's got to be the worst game of football I've seen in a long time. And this struck me as a quote, you see, Josh, because I would love to know what the ranking is like in Steve Bruce's mind of the worst games of football he's seen. Because if something was so bad that he felt the need to say this was a horrendous spectacle, like Steve Bruce is going, this is this is at a, this is offensive to the to the beautiful game. I I kind of I'm I'm fascinated. I kind of want to go home and watch this in almost a, 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 a an active an engagement in masochism. That kind of <laughs> level of of, of fascination. I mean, he presided over so many grim Newcastle United games and Sunderland even over the years, getting pumped by Manchester United at Old Trafford, the Brucey bonus. You know, he's he's seen he's seen some things. That man has been through a lot, right, on and off the football pitch. Uh, You know, he's uh, he's also uh, written. They're very hard to get your hands on, but he's also written uh, detective novels under another name. Yeah. Um, so I guess the man knows entertainment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and he did not see it on the weekend. <laughs> so you know, uh, if I have one recommendation for anyone listening, it's uh, check out West Brom against Birmingham City because <laughs> don't do it to yourself, <laughs> please. Don't it'll, do it. It'll be a ball, I'm sure. No. Well, look, I, I think I think that's everything that that, that we wanted to talk about mm. tonight, Josh. Uh, presuming you have no final remarks. I have no further comment on the weekend's fixtures. Fantastic. Well, in which, oh, no, 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 I remember one more thing. Man City are playing Liverpool next week, just by the way. That's a big game. Oh, yeah. That's highly consequential. Manchester City, Liverpool. I can't wait for that one. That that, that is always consistently good games delivered, yeah. as well. They're They're always, consistently. And the earlier tie this season, Mo Salah mm. with the incredible individual performance that he had in that match where everyone's saying, is Mo Salah the best player in the world? Probably yes, but, yeah. you know... Maybe you'll have a, a pair of laser-proof sunglasses for that one. <laughs> well, we'll see. And, of course, you know, if you're, you're uncertain whether that's the best game of the weekend, Everton are also playing Burnley on Thursday Oh, I can't wait. So, you know, Steve Bruce, get on down. Strap in. Goodison, that's going to be some ripping entertainment. Consistently top-class football from the Premier League, game in, game out. No, but look, that, that, that's all we'll talk about tonight. Thank you for joining us, for those of you with us, and for anyone listening at home. Uh, been a thoroughly enjoyable show and we will hopefully see you again next week whenever we reschedule whenever we reschedule this one for next week